Something yesterday that I, I have to say I disagree with, and I'm perfectly, uh, I'm not one of these people that feels a need to like bust your chops if I disagree with you on Twitter um, or on Facebook or whatever else, or just in life. Uh, it's just not my style, and some people live for it. Um, I'm kind of on the other end of the spectrum. I'll disagree, but usually there's, I mean, I'm never going to tell you or or whatever, but this is one thing that really, uh, I don't want to like say I disagree with this uh, just to disagree with it, but it really made me, I thought about this quote a lot about tonight, and um, and the quote said something like this, um, said that Sundays, like talking about church stuff, Sundays are, are the pep rally, Monday through Saturday is like, that's when like you really are the church, and uh and I, I understand the spirit behind it, um, but I just disagree with um, like taking the value away from what what happens when the church comes together. Like I, it's more than a pep rally, you know. Um, and so I understand what this guy was saying. I don't know this guy. It was like a retweet or something. So don't don't go busting chops for me if you don't mind, or you know, telling people that I badmouth the quote. But I, it really just made me think about. Um, you know, when I looked at that and I said, do I agree with that or not? You know, I said, well, in one sense, I kind of do. I understand what he's saying, but, but man, I love this, you know. And, and I believe that, that this is what the church does. I mean, we, we come together and we're, whatever happens here happens here. And then we spread out and we minister during the week and we come back together. And it's just, it's this constant, you know, um, coming and going, gathering and sending that, that happens, that, it's a church seven days a week. There's never a time when, and so this is not a pep rally to get us all hyped up to go out and whatever. It's, this is just a part of who we are. Um, as a part of being a part of the church, you come together and, and we need to sing. And we sang more songs tonight so far than we normally do, and that's perfectly fine. We need to sing. We need to pray. We need to be in the Word. We need fellowship. We need those hugs. We need to... Um, to have a place, um, like someone said in our community group, where everybody knows your name, just like Cheers. And it should be kind of like, uh, I was always envious of Norm Peterson, that he would walk in and say, hey, everybody, anybody would scream, Norm, yeah. It's, even people, and, and I started watching Cheers when I was young, so I, I didn't really like figure out, I was like, how does everybody know him? Like, how does everybody know his name? And it's not, they didn't, but regardless. Uh, just that, that in, that's just such an important thing. What we do here is so important. And, I, you know, I've been around church my entire life, literally. And I, I don't know at what point I started cluing into the fact that the, the teaching and the music and, like, what happens when the church comes together is planned by the Spirit of God for a reason, you know. Um, I remember there was a sermon series uh, when I was younger that uh, Carol Marr was preaching. He was our pastor. And uh, remember, uh, anybody remember No Fear shirts? Yeah. Anybody here wearing one tonight? No? Maybe as an undershirt. Uh, but yeah, they had all these shirts with like no fear. And they had all these slogans on them and stuff. And so he like went to the mall one day and they had all these no fear shirts and whatever. And he just went through and like wrote down the slogans and did a whole series based on these no fear shirts. That was the most brilliant thing I ever 
ever thought of. I just thought he was being creative. I didn't, it, at the time, it didn't occur to me, like, this dude prays about what he's going to preach on. And God leads him to certain texts and ter- certain ideas and certain whatever that are for the, the formation of this body to then send them out and to go. And then as they come together, it's all very much on purpose. And uh, I just wish I could go back and, and walk through that with that kind of appreciation, not for the pastor, but for the fact that God has a plan for an individual church as well as the big church. And so um, tonight we're going to wrap up a kind of a series that we've been doing. And, um, and I, I hope that, I mean, me definitely, I hope that we can all see that like this is purposed by God for this, like, this time. Um, and for the end, you know, end of our third year, beginning of our fourth year as a church. Like, this is, this is what we're ready for. This is what we need. This is what he has for us. And so um, we've been talking about evangelism. And I, I don't really know why. I, God is not, I'm not a prophet. Uh, he hasn't said there's a big harvest coming, so you need to get the workers ready. There's nothing, nothing on the horizon that I have any sort of, uh, you know, heads up on or anything like that. Just kind of felt like it was time to really just talk about evangelism. And um, Maybe God has, has helped us as we unpack it to maybe correct some things or whatever. Um, or maybe, <clears throat> maybe, um, maybe you just hadn't really thought about, like, huh, maybe this is, this is really something for our church. Like, this is planned and purposed by God. So um, if, if you haven't been seeing it that way, then cool. If you haven't seen it that way, then cool. That means we're all on the same page now. And tonight is going to be one of those wrap-up of a series kind of things where we sort of um, pack everything into one deal and then add some more stuff to it. So if you missed the last couple weeks or kind of been scattered or whatever, um, I'm going to try to recap as best we can. You can check out the podcast otherwise. Um, Now, let me just tell you on the front end, I'm going to talk fast. Okay? And we're going to cover a lot of ground. Um, And my favorite way to teach is to take like one one chunk of verses and let's go through them real slowly. This is not going to be one of those nights. There's going to be a lot of scripture. Um... And we're going to use the screens. Those are going to be our friend. I'm, I'm not going to wait for everybody to turn. Okay, so here's what I want you to do. Uh, in a minute, I'm going to tell you uh, where to turn. I want you to turn there. And then uh, the rest of the night, I just want you to write stuff down. Okay, don't worry about flipping. I'm not going to flip. Nobody's going to flip. Okay, no flipping tonight. We're going to use the screens. And um, because I, I just, I, that's just, just kind of the night that, that we're going to have. Okay, all right, so you go to Matthew chapter 5. And you just sit tight because we're not going to get to it for a while, okay? Um, we're going to jump around a good bit. Um, if, you are, if you are a note taker, you're going to love me tonight, all right? Because I have seven points. So you can make seven bullet points. And uh, I even, this is so against my nature, um, they even all sound the same. And they all have the word must in it. Okay, so if you are like, I just wish Josh would title a sermon every now and then, here's, here's the title, uh, The Seven Musts of Evangelism, okay? I tried to make them all start with E, but it just didn't work, because I was like, you know, empowered is good, and uh, then I started working on, like, words I didn't even know if they started with E, and it just, it's pointless, pointless, pointless. Okay, so I sent you to Matthew 5, but I told you to hold on for a while, and this is why, um, because I'm going to read uh, a passage to you two of them, actually, and they go along with the first point, all right? The first point uh, is this. When it comes to evangelism, um, bless you, indeed. Uh, When it comes to evangelism, 
you must, must, must absolutely have to love the story of God. You have to love the story. Uh, we talked about our stories, but the first thing I think, and this didn't come from a book. Um, this is not going to be the best sermon on evangelism you've ever heard, but I, I think it's what God has for us during this season, okay? So don't go out and say, uh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? There are other things that we can add and all that kind of stuff. This is for us. The first one, I think, is that we must love the, the story, the story of God. Let me, read, let me read two passages to you, and they're right next to each other. If you're writing these things down, the first one is Ezekiel 36, 22 through 28. All right, listen to this. You may, may have heard it before. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake that I'm about to act but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Listen to this. this is, here's the story, all right? I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people. I will be your God. Okay? Many passages you go to in the Bible that talk about the story. That's one of them. New spirit. Spirit of God in us. He takes out the heart of stone from the old covenant. Puts in the heart of flesh. Like Jesus. Like the real, the new, the new covenant. Um, his spirit in us empowers us. That is, that's the story. We have to love that. Not just know it. Not just be familiar with it. Not, and not even just memorize it. I mean, we have, to, we have to love it. It has to become valuable to us um, if it's not already. I don't want to assume that it's not, but that is a must when it comes to evangelism. We have to love the story. We have to treasure the story because the story is about Jesus, and that's who we treasure. And because he is our treasure, we treasure his story, which means we treasure the story. Um, that's absolutely a must. Um, that's Ezekiel 36. If you look in Ezekiel 37, it has another way of describing it. Um, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out of the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He led me, ar he led me around among them, and behold, there were many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can, can these bones live? God ever asks you a question is a really good way to answer it. He says, and I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> ever since, like, God's asking you a question, be like, if anybody knows it's you, right. Good answer. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, okay, muscles, tendons, 
and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Okay? So he's telling him, see all these bones? Tell them I'm gonna, that God's going to bring them to life. Tell them I'm going to bring them to life. I'm going to give them muscles and skin and breath and make them alive. So Ezekiel, being cool, said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I, as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had covered them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. That's cool. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones dried up and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. Listen to this. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. That's the story. When we hear the story, we should get chills. We got to love it. We got to treasure it. It's, the story of God has got to be... I mean, it's, it's got to be that for us. That's the first must of evangelism. If you want a much, much, much shorter verse, I mean, a shorter passage of Scripture uh, to uh, remember this, look at John 5, 24. Jesus just has a way of summing up things really well. Truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's the story. Jesus bring, make, taking people who are dead and making them alive. Only God can raise a life, right? Only God can take someone who's dead, cut off from him, um, and restore them, make them alive, put his spirit in them. I mean, only, only God can do that. Man can do a lot of things, a lot of very impressive and amazing things. But that's one I hadn't figured out yet. Huh? That's the story, death to life, okay? That's the first one. Um, and that's what we kind of started off with. The second one is, is very much like that. Um, we must love our story. You have to love your story about how you came uh, to, know, to know God. There's a, um, the illustration I sort of went with a little bit was like at a, at a wedding rehearsal dinner when they show the slideshow. And it's the pictures of the bride before, you know, before she met the groom and then him. Uh, before he met her, and then it's like them together. That that's, that's, if you want to break your, your life story down into big chunks, that's what it is. Uh, this is my life before, um, before I knew Jesus, when I was dead, when I was a dry bone in a valley. Um, this is my life now, that he has uh, put my bones back together and given me muscles and flesh and put his spirit in me, and now I am alive. Now, you may not want to explain it that way to somebody if they ask, because that might weird them out. Um, but you have, you have to love your story. 
And maybe your story is full of, of just grace and love. And maybe, maybe you had the kind of, you've had the kind of life that um, you, you just literally just count your blessings every day. And maybe you've had the kind of life that's just full, full of pain and anguish and um, injustice and whatever. Um, I understand why it's more of a struggle to love your story when you've come from a painful history. I get that. Um, but all of us have the same two basic things. I was dead, now I'm alive. You have to love your story. There are certain stories that um, people tell over and over and over again. And uh, if someone has a story that they're famous for telling, you know, and people are like, oh, come on, tell that story, tell that story. And they're always like, well, okay, I'll tell it. If they tell it, it's because they love it. We tell the stories that we love. When, you know, we went to Mexico last week, and we get back, and people are like, oh, how was the trip? And, and you, you don't want to be like that guy who, like, just sits there and talks about your trip for, like, an hour, because, you know, most people really weren't wanting the 60-minute version. They were wanting, well, like, the 60-second answer, you know? Um, but this, if you ask me, and you're like, tell me some stories from Mexico. The stories I'm going to tell are the ones that I love, not the ones that I hate, right? They're going to be the ones that, that were either hilarious or just the moments that just meant the most to me deep down. And so with our own stories, they have to really, really, really mean something to us. To the point where we're not ashamed to, to say, yeah, I've had it easy my whole life. Because that's glory to God. Or to say, I've had it really, really hard. Glory to God. Because everybody's basically saying, this is what my dead life looked like, and this is what my alive life looks like. It didn't make a lot of sense, but, you know. So we have to, we must love the story. We must love our stories. Um, in Luke 15, we talked about, um, we talked about the value of people. That's our third point. When it comes to evangelism, we must value other people the way that he does. And there's a lost coin, there's a lost sheep, there's a lost son. And in each situation, something that was of incredible value was lost. And uh, because of that value, there was a search. Because there was value there, they weren't going to settle for what was already there. You know, there were 99 other sheep, but that one that was lost was valuable to the shepherd. There were nine other coins, but that one that was lost was valuable to the woman. The guy had two sons. One was, you know, the, the good son who stayed home and did everything he was supposed to do. The other one was a rebellious punk who wanted his dad dead. You would think that his dad would be like, oh, well, I'll, just, I'll go with the gratitude instead of the guy that's kind of, you know, sticking it to me or whatever. And, uh, but no, he's still, it was, there's value there. It's cool that it goes from, like, monetary stuff to a relational thing. And um, that value that's there, um, when God looks at a person whether it's somebody in this room or um, someone who is on the other side of the world, um, there's, just, there's value. There's, hey, here's a, a person created in my image. That image has been distorted uh, by sin, and that makes them dead. And I don't want, this is God talking, and I don't want my image to look like death. Because God is life, right? So he wants to restore that image, and a part of that image is being alive. And so there's 
value because there's love. And so for us, when it comes to evangelism, we have to learn how to see other people the way that God does. Um, if that's going to happen in, in our lives, um, there's, there's got to be uh, grace. There's got to be humility. There's got to be love. There's got to be patience. Um, there has to be all these things that pretty much uh, you read the New Testament, and that's what the New Testament writing, writers are pushing us toward all the time. We're not, we aren't going to value people the way that God does if we are always judging them, and we always think that we're better than them, and we live this prideful existence, and we don't leave room for people to make mistakes, and I mean, if that's the way we're going to live, then that value is not going to be there. And so we need God to, to, to help us to get that perspective on people. And every now and then, like God, he'll like, just completely mess with me because I know he has a sense of humor and I'm very deserving of this kind of messing with. But like, sometimes like, I'll, just, I'll be somewhere and like, the thought will just come through my head, like uh, image bearer of God. I'll see somebody created in the image of God. I'm like, where did that come from? And I try very quickly to put it out of my mind because once I, when, when I, I get to that point and I see a person that's created in his image, it, it changes, it, it just, there's something different about him at that point. And for some reason, like, I'm, I get uncomfortable with that. And I shouldn't get uncomfortable with that. And that's how usually we can tell by our reactions to those kind of things, kind of where, where we are that day. Then there are other times when God will kind of whisper that same thing. That person was created in my image. And my response is, I wonder if they know that. I wonder if they know that they're important to the one who holds the universe together. I wonder if, if they know how valuable they are to the one who formed them intentionally just like he wanted them. I wonder if they know that in a world that's always uh, just taking advantage of insecurities and um, just all these things. I, I just wonder if, if they know. Do they know? Do they know? Do they know? And see, when I respond that way, that's good. I, it stirs me up. It also kind of scares me a little bit that God, that the next thing they'd be like, well, then go tell them, you know, and that'll just, it's a whole other thing. But that's what we're going for, right? We're going for looking at people and seeing value when we look at them. Now, that's one thing when you're at Walmart and you walk around and you see people and God's like teaching us how to do that. And sometimes we react poorly and sometimes we react well. And all, that's one thing. Um, but chances are, um, I mean, maybe I shouldn't say this, but maybe I should. Um, Evangelism is not necessarily like cold calling, okay? You're not going to necessarily walk up to somebody at Walmart uh, in the deli section and be like, hey, did you know that you're God's beloved? Maybe you will, but that's not necessarily what evangelism is. Because um, if that freaks you out, it freaks me out too. I'm in your camp. Um, Evangelism is, is probably most of the time going to be in those relationships that God has given you um, every, every day. It's going to be in your family. It's going to be 
with your roommates. It's going to be um, with your neighbors. It's going to be with your coworkers. And so, if we must, must, must value people the way that God does, then maybe, maybe those are the circles of relationships that we should begin really just thinking about is do I look at my coworkers with value or do I look at them as idiots sometimes? Or do I look at them as hilarious and great? Or do I look at them as like so nice but so incompetent? You know, am I, am I looking at them based on their personality and their job performance and all that kind of stuff? Or am I looking at them through the lens of formed in God's image, beloved of God, Jesus came for you, you may not have a clue. You may not know that. You might not realize that. We must, must, must get to that point where, where we value people in the ways that really matter. In the, in the deep things of God, in what life is all about, we have to value them. So we must love the story. We must love our stories. We must value people the way that he does. The fourth one, um, we must know and embrace and understand our role in the process. Now, all of this we're reviewing up to this point. We have to know what our role is. We have to understand our, our role, and we have to embrace that role. Um, here's what I'm talking about. Look uh, up on the screen. We'll flash this up there. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. You had nothing to do with your salvation. You have nothing to do with someone else's salvation, as, meaning this. You can't save anybody. It's not your job, one, but more importantly, you just can't. Like, it's just not, you're not that awesome. You're awesome. I tell you that all the time. You're awesome, but you're not bring someone from death to life awesome. And I'm not either. And the most compelling evangelistic presentations ever are not powerful enough in and of themselves to make that happen. We talked about there being an order behind things. Let me go over it real quick. Uh, we start off um, completely dead. All right? And then, um, so we're dead in our transgressions and sin. You can read Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This explains all this. Dead in our transgressions and sin. And then there is um, some sort of value placed on someone, like we were talking about. So God looks at a life, looks at your life, looks at someone's, someone else's life, and says, important, created in my image, but that image has been distorted, and there's sin, and there's death. And so I'm going to make sure that that person is not stay dead, because that's not, that doesn't look like me. I, I'm life. I want him to look like life. This is, this is where we fit into things, right? So there's a search, just like looking for the coin or the sheep or the sun. There's a search, and this is where we are. We're the ones who go and say, you are important, you are important, you are important. Jesus wants to raise you from the dead. Jesus raised me from the dead. Um, this is where peace exists. This is love. This is everything that life is about. This is where it is. This is where it is. 
This is verbal. This is my lifestyle. This is the church being the church. Everything, this is ministry. This is all that stuff happens right here. Through that, it leads to the next part where God begins to draw them. He begins to draw and pull you closer. And as he's drawing, and he, he, he draws them, and then they get to this point where there's, actually, there's conversion. This is the point where they're able to respond to everything that's happened. This tends to be the focus of evangelism. We want results. We want people to repeat the prayer, fill out the card, get in the baptistry, add them to the numbers that we can send in, and let's keep going. Um, unfortunately, this tends to be the focus point. We think that this is evangelism. This is not evangelism. This is a response to the work of God drawing them. It's a response to them feeling valued and loved by him um, because they were actually dead. So we fit in right here, and we have to know this, we have to understand this, because right here there's no pressure. If you think that this is your job to save somebody, pressure, pressure, pressure. And it's so stupid because you can't do it. So you're feeling all this pressure and nervousness about something you can't even do. It's co just completely ridiculous. If we would go back to this point, and we would say, okay, I could do this. I can live graciously, I can pursue holiness, I can um, brag on Jesus as much as I can. I can strive to live a life that is consistent with my story. I can do this. Then we know it and we understand it and we embrace it. This is a must when it comes to evangelism. If, if you hang out too much there in that conversion point, you're never going to share your faith with somebody because you're so focused on the results. So what if they say, no, then I'm a failure? What if I don't lead all my classmates to Christ? Then that means I'm a failure. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Faithfulness comes back to, to here. This is where faithfulness happens. Be faithful here. Let God use your life to do this and then this, and then it actually just keeps going a bunch of other stuff. It's awesome too. Be faithful here. Let him use this to make these things happen. Okay? That's the fourth point. Must love the story. Must love your story. Must value people the way he does. Must know and understand and embrace our role um, in what happens. All right, next point. This will be number five. We must be prepared to testify. We must be prepared to testify and tell our story. 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 is what it says. Look up on the screen. It says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Be ready in season and out of season. And look at this other one. Look at 1 Peter 3, 13 to 17. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being oh wait, look at that, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. All right, we'll just look. Always being prepared to make ask for a reason. Okay, we must be ready and prepared for when we have a chance to tell that story. When Jesus says, you know, um, when he tells the, the um, disciples to go and to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit, 
and he says um, um, that power will come upon them and that they will be his witnesses. That word witness, it's literally like you're sitting in court and you're like in the, in the box next to the judge giving a testimony about what you saw or what you experienced to go on the record. That's, that's what it is. That's what witnessing is. If you grew up in a context where that's like knocking on doors or handing out tracts and walking through the Ten Commandments or the Four Spiritual Laws or the Vanja Cube or whatever, like and all those kind of things, um, those are organized ways to help people prepare. And people have been saved through them. And we should not mock them. I should not mock them. And I'm not trying to mock them. What I'm saying is that we have to expand our understanding of what it is. Some people prepare by using the, the five points of the faith evangelistic like, presentation. That's how they're like, okay, I'm going to be ready. And I'm the kind of personality that I need to have something organized. Do it. If you want to find something to help you get organized, I'll help you find something. But really, from the big picture, you just need to be ready to tell your story. And that means like sitting down and like really getting to the point and saying, can I articulate what Jesus has done in my life? The short answer is no. It's, it's too big. Um, the long answer is no, but I'll narrow it down. No, but I'll figure out how to, how to do that in such a way that um, if I have an opportunity, um, I'm not going to say, well, it would take like 12 hours for me to explain it all, so maybe we... No, 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 no. You need to be able to communicate that. Um, so am I saying write down your testimony? Yes. I think so. I think if, if you are unprepared to share it, I think that would be a great place to start. Write down your story. Tell it, tell it to people. Email it to some people. Say, hey, does this make any sense? I'm not saying you should memorize it, but you should have your thoughts together so that like, should a conversation turn that direction, should any sort of opportunity come up, your response is not, uh, 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 and then run. Be prepared. Be ready. Take it seriously. The stakes are too high for us to sit back and be like, well, you know, maybe I'll kind of fake my way through. No, no, no. If you have an opportunity, we, we've got to walk away being like, that was awesome. I stumbled through it, but I was ready for it. I've been asking God to bring that, and he did, and that was awesome. And he's going to use it. We prepare for tests. We prepare for stuff at work. We prepare for things all the time. Why wouldn't we prepare for the most important thing that can happen to us in this aspect of life? Why wouldn't we prepare? Well, we have no excuse. We must be prepared. Next point. And here's the kicker. And I'll be real honest with you. I'm, I, knew that I knew that I was going to talk a lot, and I told you that ahead of time, so don't be, don't be mad. Um, I wish I had more time to talk about this point, but I'm just going to make it. Um, we must live a life that is consistent with this story and with our story. We must live a life that is consistent with the story and with our story. I had you turn to Matthew 5. Let's look at it. Let's look at 14, 15, 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light 
to all in the house. Here it is. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Okay? Look at that. Good works seen by people and it leads to them giving glory to God. We have to live a life that is consistent with our story. If we live a life that is inconsistent with our story, what is, what, how effective do you think we're going to be in telling the story and telling our story? How do you think that story is going to be received? I'm not trying to jump to any conclusions because I believe God can overcome any stupidity that exists in our lives, but why in the world would you want that? Wouldn't we strive to be as effective as we can? Look at these other, these other texts. This would be uh, Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Uh, it's a very similar thing. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. We'll come to that another date. Uh, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. What does the NIV say? You might know. Stars in the universe. We sing a song that sounds like that. Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Look at this last one, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, this sounds familiar, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. They may see your good deeds and glorify God. Our lives must be consistent. So it, let's, if you have a chance to tell a story, you're like, yeah, man, Jesus changed my life. And this and this and this and this. And then the person's going, um, I work with you every day. How come you talk just like I talk? How come you laugh at the same stuff I laugh at? How come you're just as materialistic as me? How come you stress out about every little thing just like I do? How, about, how come you're worried about what other people think about you just as much as I am? How come you walk in chaos just as much as I do? How come you're just as impatient as me? How come, I, I could just keep going, but I just won't. If there is inconsistency between the life that we live and the story that we claim to be our own, you can see the tension there. Now, I'm not saying, like, let's be legalistic. And let's say, I'm never going to cuss, and I'm never going to... Let's not set up rules, but let's just be honest. Um, there should be a difference in the way we live our lives, in our speech, and in our conduct, and in our countenance, and in every, everything. That's why we end every single week saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. And we talk about his graciousness and his countenance, literally like resting on each other. We need that. We need to go with that blessing on us. We must live a life that is consistent. Last thing, we must pray. Look at these, well, Luke 18, I would just, just tell you what it says. Jesus tells about the persistent widow who basically like pestered this judge until he finally just gave in. And he says, basically Jesus says, okay, if pestering a judge... He's going to give in. It's going to work. How, how much more effective do you think it's going to be we're talking to God? This judge who is fleshly and whatever, I mean, even if 
if, if he's going to give in, what do you think God's going to do? We've got to beat the doors down of heaven when it comes to people in our lives who don't know Christ. From the time we started doing uh, the prayer request back there, there was uh, this one name that kept coming up on the cards, like literally every Sunday for two years. And if this guy wasn't at church, he made sure somebody else put her name on that card. We pray for this girl's salvation every single week for two, two and a half years. And now we're not praying for her salvation anymore. Now we're praying for continued growth because God brought her in. She felt valuable, and God drew her, and she responded to it. I mean, that, it happened. And I'm so challenged by that because I just don't know how aggressive I am about that. Pray, 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 pray. And this is why I look at, uh, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 3, 3 through 5. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Okay? You get worried about what you're going to say? This is why prayer is important. But it's in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God. As we're, we have to pray because this whole process, it, it doesn't happen without Him. So if you look at those seven things, love the story, love your story, value people the way that he does, know and understand and embrace your role, be prepared, um, live a life that is consistent, and be praying pray for the lost. You look at those seven things, what is, what's missing in your life? What of those things are you drawn to? You're like, yeah, that's, I, I gotta, I gotta, that's the one for me. Or maybe you're going, that's the seven for me. I don't know. I can't really say any of them. I'm like, I'm kicking tail in that area. And like, no, 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 no. I understand. And I think that's a part of, part of why God has, has had us talk about this during uh, this point. Because I, I think he's, it's all preparation for whatever's next for us. Now, I have to take that seriously for my life. And you have to take it seriously for your life. So maybe you take those seven things and maybe that becomes something that you just take back to God and say, God, show me where to start. I hope that this has been encouraging and not condemning. I've heard evangelistic, you know, I've, we need to live out the Great Commission messages my, seemed like my whole life and I always felt so guilty about it. I hope this has been freeing um, because I think there is a freedom in, in what the Bible teaches about it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to sing two more songs, if that's okay, and we're going we're gonna to dismiss and uh, band, y'all go ahead and come back up. Here's, here's the deal with these songs. <clears throat> I'm, I'm real big on, uh, I think uh, our time together, I think it's a journey on a Sunday night. And I'm not trying to manipulate anything or create any kind of moment. But I think it's about responding um, to what God's doing. And so we definitely pick the songs on purpose to follow messages sometimes. And uh, this, is, this is no different. And so... Um, Sometimes it's more personal response. This time I, just, I want us to sing these as just like prayers corporately. You can process stuff on your own. Um, then I, I think that we need to. But I think this is the kind of thing as we close tonight that we need to sing as a prayer. Um, we finished 30 days of, pray, uh, of prayer. We were praying all these things on our, on our own and specific stuff. And um, well now it's our first Sunday to be together since it wrapped up. And so maybe this is a really good way. Maybe this is the closing of 30 days as we sing this as these as prayers and not just songs that we like. 
So uh, let's all stand together. And um, let me pray for us. We'll sing. We'll bless each other. And uh, we'll go. All right? Father, uh, we love you. Um, we love you because you loved us. And you've given us so many reasons. Um, so many reasons to love you. None of them that we deserve, but uh, you love us and you value us. So God, we, we want to grow in our understanding of how to take that value into a world that maybe they don't know, maybe they do know, but they're resistant. Maybe they've been given a distorted image of what, uh, what all that's about. God, we want to be effective. We want to be effective in that stage where we get to participate. So God, help us to love the story and our story, to value people, to be ready to go, to serve and to love, and to represent you well. And God, will you use our lives, will you use our church to make a difference? That's our desire, that's our prayer. And uh, we pray all this uh, in Jesus' name.